This is Carol Foster of 2 Timothy 2.15 Resources, and I am so excited that you're going to join me today as we study God's Word. The response New Messianic believers give when asked why they initially visited a Messianic congregation is, we knew there had to be more. As we study together, we will begin to see that yes, indeed, there has to be more. For additional study aids to assist you in studying along with us, go to our website, sectim.org. In our last session together, we were studying Adonai, the name of God that denotes He is our Master and Lord. We began to look at the benefits and the responsibilities that come with our making Him the Lord and Master of our lives. We developed a T-chart, which is an organizational tool that allows us to group information together in a more logical manner. Let's begin by reviewing the first two verses that we looked at. Now, remember that we are looking for the benefits that the writer received by making Adonai the Lord and Master of his life and the responsibilities that were part of those promises. Our verse, Psalms 8, verses 50 through 51, read, Remember, O Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. The psalmist is asking the Lord, Adonai, Master and Lord, to remember the reproaches or the criticism and humiliation that he, now he was speaking as a representative of Israel, had suffered. During this specific period of time, the nation of Israel was under the rule of Solomon, David's son, and it was beginning to fall apart. A little history of the time period. The psalmist knew that Israel and he himself had not only the privilege of being Adonai's anointed, but they also had the responsibility of living like they were the anointed of God, his anointed servants. That is, to have faith, trust, and belief that Adonai will do what he said he would do. He is also to conduct his life in such a manner that all around will know that Adonai is indeed his God. Now, remember that during this period of time, Israel had fallen back into idol worship because of Solomon's many wives, and that definitely was not pleasing to Adonai. You can read more about this in 1 Kings chapter 11. We as believers in Messiah, when Adonai is in fact the Lord and Master of our lives, do have the responsibility to live our lives in such a way that it declares to the world that we are not only His, but he is also our Lord and Master. The psalmist was beseeching Adonai to not allow Zion, or Israel, to experience humiliation. Israel bears in her bosom the nations of the world. She is their spiritual mother. This is a way of saying that Israel figures into the long-range plans for God for the world. Israel's enemies are really God's enemies. The enemies have reproached the footsteps of God's anointed, the Messiah. Although they have been told of Messiah's coming, yet they scoff at the delay in his coming. Nevertheless, the faithful cling to the promise of that coming and continue to praise God. It was only Adonai, the Lord and Master of both the universe and the nation of Israel, that could intervene in such a situation. God sees us and knows what we have gone through and how we have suffered and we can call upon him as Adonai, our Lord and Master, and he hears us. 
just as the psalmist and Israel were the anointed of the Lord, we too, as the spiritual children of Abraham, are part of the commonwealth of Israel. Just as they were the anointed of the Lord, we are also Just as they were the anointed of the Lord, so are we, beloved believers in Messiah. We can call upon our Adonai, the God who is above all gods, the one that is sovereign and supreme. He will hear us, and we will know that he is in control. The next verse that we want to look at is found in Psalms 141, and they're verses 1 through 10. This psalm of David was probably written during the period when Saul was persecuting him. The fact that David was a prophet as well as a king is important to remember when interpreting any of the psalms attributed to him. Now this psalm consists of two divisions. The first are petitions. We found those in verses 1 through 7. And the second section is professions. Those are in verses 8 through 10. We're going to look at David's profession before Adonai, his Lord and Master. O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be counted as incense before you. The lifting of my hands is the evening offering. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity. And do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon the head. Do not let my head refuse it, for still my prayer is against their wicked deeds. Their judges are thrown down by the sides of the rock, and they hear my words, for they are pleasant. As when one plows and breaks upon open the earth, our bones have been scattered at the mouth of Sheol. For my eyes are toward you, O God, the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave me defenseless. Keep me from the jaws of the trap which they have set for me, and from the snares of those who do iniquity. Keep me from the jaws of the trap which they have set for me, and from the snares of those who do iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets, while I pass by safely. In verses 1 and 2, we read that David asks for a favorable hearing. In verses 1 and 2, we read that David asks for a favorable hearing from Adonai, his Lord and Master. He was already been praying, and now he pleads for a speedy answer to his prayer for help. He asked that his prayer might be received as incense or as the sweet-smelling smoke from the altar of incense. The sweet-smelling smoke. He asked that his prayer might be received as incense or as the sweet-smelling smoke from the fire of... Okay, girl. He asked that his prayer might be received as incense or as a sweet-smelling smoke from the altar of incense, like the sweet-smelling smoke of sacrifice generally. The lifting of the hands was a gesture of prayer, the outward symbol of an uplifted heart. This may be because David was accustomed to praying at that hour each afternoon. Next, in verses 3 and 4, we found that David asks for grace to resist the temptation to sin in word, thought, and deed, 
He wants to be guarded from adopting the profane language of the ungodly men by whom he was surrounded. He wishes to be fortified against the temptation to join powerful men in their wicked works and sensuous lifestyle. Verse 5 tells us that David prays that he might willingly accept the correction and reproof of the ungodly. Of the Verse 5 tells us that David prays that he might willingly accept the correction and reproof of the godly. The rebuke of the righteous he would regard as refreshing oil, which would be poured out on the heads at feasts. Now, the word smite here is a metaphor for severe correction. He prays that he will have the good sense not to reject that correction. On the other hand, he set his prayer power against the evil deeds of the wicked. In verses 6 and 7, we discover that when the judges or leaders of the workers of iniquity have met with the fate they deserve, people would welcome David's advice and exhortation. Dispatching people from a cliff was one of the means of execution in ancient times. While these wicked ones are still in power, the godly were the victims of persecution and oppression. They were murdered and their dead bodies called for revenge. Some take verse 7 to mean that the godly had been left without anything that makes life worth living. They were no better than skeletons, ready to be swallowed up by Sheol. In the last two verses, David still looks to Adonai, his lord and master, in expectant prayer. He has put himself under Adonai's protection. On the basis of that relationship, he appeals that Adonai would not permit men to pour out his lifeblood on the ground. He prays that he might be delivered from the enticement of the wicked, which are here are likened unto hunter's snares. He asks that the schemes of the wicked might recoil back upon themselves. Even in the midst of his deepest hours of distress, David still recognized that Adonai was in control. He looked to Adonai in expectant prayer. He had the faith and trust in his Lord and Master to do what he said he would do. David had put himself under the protection of Adonai. This is exactly what we've been talking about. David ran into the strong tower of the name of Adonai, where not only protection awaited, but also deliverance. David also asked to be guarded against becoming like those around him who were not living the lifestyle that his Adonai required. This is another way of being protected from his enemies. We too can run into the strong and mighty name of Adonai and know that he not only hears us, but that he will do and be what his name says he will do and be. Now in Psalms 119, verses 121 through 128, we discover what David's responsibility was in this situation, just as it is ours today. He was to ask for and to accept correction. I'm going to read those verses to you. You rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, who wander from your commandments. Take away reproach and contempt from me, for I observe your testimonies. Even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have told of my ways and you have answered me. 
Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. So I will meditate on your wonders. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. These verses speak of the power of the word in prayer. The psalmist is conscious of his own righteousness, morality, and standing before Adonai, his Lord and Master. He therefore prays that he might not be abandoned to those that are oppressing him. He wants Adonai to guarantee his welfare. His eyes were failing. They were watching for the deliverance with the righteous Adonai, the Lord his Master, had pledged would come. This hopelessness and sadness triggers within the psalmist a hunger for a greater knowledge of God's word. As God's servant, he must have had As God's servant, he must have more understanding. It's high time for Adonai to interrupt his hopelessness with an act of judgment against the transgressors to vindicate his broken law. The more men break God's law, however, the more the psalmist values it. He holds it in high esteem, all of God's precepts, and hates every way which is contrary to those precepts. I think that the majority of us today do not think about asking Adonai to show us where we are missing the mark. What we need to correct and change in our lives, our attitudes, and our thought lives. As our pastor often says, Lord, show me where I need to be corrected or changed, but please be gentle. All of his attributes and characteristics that are held in his name as Adonai are ours based upon our relationship with and in Yeshua, our faith that he will indeed still do and be what his name tells us. Are we today like the psalmist? Do we go to our Adonai in prayer? Do we hide ourselves in his name, our strong tower? Do we look for our deliverance for our circumstances and from the evil of the world in self-help books, in the opinions and suggestion of others? Or do we go to the one who is in control? In the midst of the psalmist's despair and sadness, he doesn't wallow or stay there. He seeks the only one that can truly help him. He runs into the name of Adonai. Instead of seeking answers from the world, do we seek our answers from his word and from him? Do we go before the supreme authority of the universe and ask for more of him? When we are in despair, feeling hopeless and alone, when the circumstances of our lives seem out of control, we should run into his word. It should be the very air that we breathe and the water that we thirst for. Beloved of the Father, that is where our answers lie. That is where our comfort lies. And that is where our hope lies. It is in Him and His Word. In order to receive the blessings of our Adonai, we need to know Him. We should be spending time in the Word and time on our faces before Him, seeking His answers, solutions, and comfort. As it tells us in Psalms 147, verse 3, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And again in Second Thessalonians two fifteen through seventeen the word tells us So then brethren stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. 
Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. I want us to look at another mighty warrior and a man of God who didn't start out that way. Let's look at Gideon. We find his story in Judges chapter 6. I'm going to begin by reading verses 12 through 16. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers have told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Like the other deliverers in the word, Gideon's authority and power are persuasively bestowed by God. Gideon's specific charge is to deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. The commissioning formula the commissioning formula given by the angel of God was, Surely I have sent you. This presents Gideon with all the authority he will need for the task. This fearful and cynical farmer is hereby informed that God, Adonai, has indeed heard the people's cry of pain, and he has personally chosen Gideon to solve the problem. In verse 15, we read that Gideon's opening response to the envoy's second speech O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? This is more correctly translated as, uh, <clears throat> Excuse me, my Lord. Now, this might sound polite, but his tone continues to be cynical. He obviously does not yet recognize the person who has addressed him. Like Moshe in an earlier time, Gideon expresses his sense of incompetence and inadequacy, particularly his lack of social standing in Israel. Disregarding the envoy's opening address, mighty warrior or hero or aristocrat. Disregarding the envoy's opening address, mighty warrior or hero or aristocrat, he complains of two strikes that are already against him. His clan is the least important in Manasseh, and he's the youngest in his father's household. Gideon does not realize that in Yahweh's work, it does not matter what one's social position is. The authorization of Yahweh is all he needs. Having no experience with the divine presence, he cannot imagine beyond his own human resources, or lack of. In response to Gideon's objection, Adonai offers two words of encouragement. First, he promises his presence in the undertaking. As in the case of Moshe, the fearful Gideon is to be transformed into the deliverer of his people by the powerful presence of Adonai. This utterance provides a clue to Gideon's actions later when he finally goes on the offensive against the Midianites. Second, 
Adonai predicts an easy victory. Gideon will smite Midian as if he were engaging a single person. Looking back, one notices that each of Adonai's messengers' speeches has referred to Adonai's presence with him, though the pattern changes, and the strength or present available to Gideon. We see that Adonai, Gideon's lord and master, provided the strength and the ability for Gideon to win the battle. Our Lord and Master will provide the strength for us to come through our battles victorious. Wouldn't it be wonderful for our Lord and Master, Adonai, to call us His valiant warrior, to go into the battles that we face in this life knowing that Adonai is with us and that with Him, to go into the battles that we face in this life knowing that Adonai is with us and that with Him we will be victorious? We can run into the strong tower of the name of Adonai and know that with him we are more than conquerors in life's battles. We're going to the word again to discover more about Adonai, our Lord and Master. This time we want to discover what he is Lord and Master over. It's easy to just say he's Lord over everything. Yet, without knowing it, we sometimes want to limit Adonai to those things that we personally experience. So, this is our opportunity to delve deeper into his word and discover more about the characteristics and attributes of our Adonai. I'm going to read the following scriptures and listen very carefully for more information about who or what he is Adonai or Lord over. We also want to note the response that is to be given to him as Adonai if one is mentioned. Each scripture refers to God as Adonai or Adon, which is a shortened version of the word Adonai. Now, this is another good opportunity to practice the list skills that we were introduced to last session when we identified the benefits and responsibility of his being the Lord and Master of our lives. Again, you can download these worksheets free from our website, secTIM.org. This is an easy... This information can be easily organized by using a T-chart, again, or making lists. I would label the columns Scripture Address, now this is where I found the information, and the second column as He is Lord Over. I would then enter the information under the appropriate column. Again, this worksheet can be downloaded from free from our website, sectim.org. The first scripture that I want to read is found in Deuteronomy 9, verse 26. I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, Do not destroy your people, even your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. In this verse, we read that he is Lord over his people, and his people are his inheritance, and they have been redeemed Lord over his people. Now, his people are his inheritance, and they have been redeemed by him. We see this in many instances, but I want us to concentrate on two at this time. He brought his people out of the land of Egypt. He brought us, believers today, out of the bondage of sin and death. We are his inheritance, and his inheritance is generous. We have not only inherited eternal life, but also a home with him forever, but we also have the here and now, his Ruach HaKodesh to guide us, lead us, and comfort us. Adonai has given us himself. 
in John 17, we read that Yeshua is in him and we as believers are in Yeshua. So we are all in him as well, that we may all be one. We were redeemed with a high price, the very lifeblood of Yeshua. Though he was sinless, he died for us sinners that we might be redeemed and reconciled to the Father by his greatness. We have not only been purchased with a price for the future, but we are protected and held safe by his mighty right hand. We have all that he is available to us in the here and now. Thank you for joining us today as we delve into the beautiful truths of God's Word to indeed discover that there has to be more. I pray that the Word applied to your daily life will bring a deeper understanding of His love letter written just to you. Let me remind you that we have additional study aids to assist you with our studies together on our website, sectim.org. May this day fill you with the love of God, joy, and shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken in your life.